Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. I'll ask you to go ahead and find Jeremiah 31 in your copy of Scripture. We're going to read from there in just a moment. Uh, The other night, I was intending on waking up a little earlier in the morning, which is a challenge for me because I'm not a morning person. Anybody else in here with me? Anybody else in here not a morning person? Amen. I, I, don't you love people who are not morning people? I'm not a morning person. So for me to get up earlier, I have to plan ahead to get up earlier. Plan ahead. I'm a night person. I'd rather read a book late at night. And uh, I stay up with the best of people, but getting up in the morning is not my forte. So I was planning ahead. I, I got to bed earlier. Actually went to sleep pretty fast, which is not always uh, the case. But all, you know, two times in the middle of the night, midnight and at four o'clock, I was wide awake for whatever reason. So getting up earlier really was not going to happen on that morning. It, it reminded me of those days when my youngest son had colic and uh, nobody in our house but our oldest son slept. I mean, Will's the only person who could sleep through that. I may have told you this before, but when he was a baby, he couldn't sleep through me walking out of the door. You know, I'd walk out of the door at 6 o'clock, and he was up just like that and, and all that kind of stuff. And then my youngest gets colic and cries for about 18 hours of a 24-hour day, and my oldest son can sleep through that. I mean, no issues whatsoever. But the reason I bring that up is because we all, well, not we all, but often many of us have trouble sleeping. There are times that maybe we're frustrated, maybe we're anxious, Maybe we've stayed up too long looking at our phones and the blue light from a phone or from a tablet or from a TV screen has just kept our brain awake and it's hard to go to sleep. Or maybe it has to do with something physical. You're going through a difficult physical situation and circumstance or, or you're, you're too tired to sleep or you're not tired enough. You have a hard time going to sleep or a hard time staying asleep. The reason I bring that up is because the very first verse we're going to read from the book of Jeremiah, is a verse where Jeremiah admits that he got a good night's sleep. And to be honest with you, that's a little bit ironic given the circumstances Jeremiah found himself in. As we know, he was a prophet of doom and gloom. He preached judgment and destruction because God told him that the people of Judah needed to repent of their sins. And for much of his ministry, he had the responsibility to preach repentance and a need for people to turn back to God. And yet in chapter 31, and we won't read the whole chapter, but in chapter 31, he had, he had this vision, this word from God about the restoration of God's people. Pick up with me, if you will, in verse 26. Jeremiah said this, At this I awoke and looked, and my sleep was pleasant to me. The first 25 verses of the book of Jeremiah chapter 31 was like a dream. A dream that gave Jeremiah some peace and some rest. And by the way, you ought to read that in your own time. There's just a lot of good things in there. In a few weeks, I think during our Advent series, I'm going to reference some of the things in Jeremiah 31, the earlier part of the the chapter. But continue reading with me, if you will, in verse 27. The continuation of this dream or this vision, this word from God that Jeremiah had. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah 
with the seed of man and the seed of beast, and it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up and break down, to overthrow and to destroy and bring harm, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, declares the Lord. Now, uh, those of you that have paid close attention will remember that in Jeremiah chapter 1, when God called Jeremiah, those were nearly the exact instructions God gave Jeremiah. He was called to tear down and break down, to overthrow, destroy, and bring harm, and also to build in a plant. And what God says to Jeremiah in this moment, it's an affirmation of Jeremiah's call, is God is saying, yes, I have judged, yes, I have destroyed, yes, I have plucked up, but I will also build and I will plant. It's a promise of restoration. It's a good news promise. It's a, it's a hope. It's a promise that Jeremiah can take heart in. Verse 29, in those days they shall no longer say, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own sin. Each man who eats sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. It's just simply a proverb that recognizes the personal responsibility for sin. In other words, it won't be for the sin of the fathers that the children die, it'll be for the sin of the children. The sin of the sinner is what will cause judgment and destruction. But notice that phrase that we begin with, behold, the days are coming. That's a common phrase in the book of Jeremiah. It's a reflection of what is to be. And many times when Jeremiah used that phrase, it is a phrase of judgment that is coming. But God uses it twice in this vision for Jeremiah, this prophecy, this message, this word of encouragement. And he uses it again in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Notice this, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, he stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever." Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth can be below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel that for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill Garib, and shall then return to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be uprooted or overthrown anymore forever. Now, Jeremiah had to preach a lot of bad news during his ministry. He had about a 40-year ministry of time. He had a ministry during the reign of kings who did not want to obey God and listen to God and respond to an offer of repentance. He ministered to a people that were stubborn, that were self-centered, that were rebellious, that were idolatrous. And he had to preach a lot of hard things. 
And I think that one of the things that God did to show a grace to Jeremiah is he let him preach something. He let him see something that was some incredible good news. He let Jeremiah have a vision and have a sermon about the new covenant. And we're going to unpack that in just a moment. But know this, the new covenant is described in the Old Testament on a number of occasions. Ezekiel and Isaiah get a chance to speak about it a little bit. Jeremiah speaks about it. But the only place in all of the Old Testament that the terminology new covenant is used is right here in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the only Old Testament prophet that got to speak about the new covenant. Now, what's he talking about? I confess that there are times I listen to sermons, and it's a good thing to listen to other sermons. One of my favorite preachers is Alistair Begg. He preaches a program called Truth for Life. And a couple of weeks back, I was listening to a sermon he was preaching out of the book of Hebrews, which actually quotes this text. And he was talking about a superior covenant. And in that sermon, he reflected on a theme that helps us understand what's going on in Scripture that I'd like for us to look at for just a moment. One thing we need to remember is we have one book. We have one Bible. It's 66 books long, but in the Bible there are two Testaments. There's the Old Testament and there's the New Testament. The Old Testament reflects on the Old Covenant. The New Testament reflects on the New Covenant. And John Bright, an Old Testament scholar, described the covenants this way. He said this, Old Testament and New Testament thus stand together as the two acts of a single drama. Act 1 points to its conclusion in Act 2, and without it, the play is incomplete, an unsatisfying thing. But Act 2 must be read in light of Act 1, else its meaning will be missed, for the play is organically one. The Bible is one book. Had we to give that book a title, we might with justice call it the book of the coming kingdom of God. That is indeed its central theme. I love that quote because it helps us unpack something that I think is tremendously important for us as followers of Jesus. We tend, and understandably so, we tend to gravitate toward the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, we read about Jesus, we read about His miracles, we read about His death and resurrection. We read the letters to the church that are quite honestly very simple for us to understand. Why? Because we are the church. We are the people of God. Had we lived in Corinth or Ephesus or some of those other places where Paul wrote or where John wrote or where Peter wrote, we we could have made sense of those letters. But we are so far removed from the situations of the ancient Israelites that sometimes it makes it challenging when we open up the books of the Bible and we read in Exodus about all the sacrifices that the people of Israel were supposed to give. Or we read this whole list of laws that some of them makes sense, like thou shalt not murder, and thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And then others of the law, like you shall not bull a baby goat in its mother's milk, they don't really make sense or they don't apply to our context. And so we often kind of shift our attention to the New Testament. But we do that at our own theological and really spiritual peril. Because we cannot fully grasp what God is up to in the New Testament if we don't at least understand the gravity and the importance of the Old Testament. And really that is shaped by the terms covenant, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant. 
A covenant, a biblical covenant, is a binding relationship of eternal consequence in which God promises to bless His people and His people promise to obey. Covenants were made by God with men throughout the Old Testament. God made a covenant with Abraham. The very first covenant talked about there's a covenant with David. And then there's a particular covenant that Jeremiah references here with the people of Israel when God brought them out of Egypt. And there's an old covenant. That covenant is a covenant where God said, I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to bring you into my family. And then I'm going to give you an expectation that you do these things to be a part of the covenant. That's where the law comes from. It's an expectation that God's people are to obey the covenant that He has given them. There's a problem because we don't keep the covenant that God made with us. So what I'd like us to look at are three needs that come from this new covenant that Jeremiah is describing, getting some insights, Jeremiah gets some insights, that look forward and anticipate what's going to happen in the New Testament. Here's need number one. We need a covenant better than the one we are sure to break. We need a covenant better than the one we are sure to break. Pick up in verse 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. The reason we need a new covenant is not because there's a problem with the covenant. The problem is not with the old covenant. The problem is not with the fact that God redeemed the people of Israel, brought them out of Egypt, and gave them a law. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that the people of Israel never faithfully kept the law that they were supposed to keep. A covenant is where a stronger party, that would be God, a party that's in charge, that would be God, makes an agreement or a covenant a contract with a party that is weaker, that would be us, or that would be the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And God kept His end of the bargain. Over and over and over again, God never broke His part of the covenant. He never failed to bless His people. He never failed to protect His people. And He never failed to redeem His people. And what did He say in return? He said, you are to keep this law. You are to... Obey the Ten Commandments. You are not to have any other gods. You are to bring your sacrifices to the tabernacle and then the temple. You are to worship me and worship me alone. And what happened? The entire history of the Old Testament is a discovery or a declaration that the people of God who were blessed and redeemed and drawn into a relationship with God, they consistently failed in the covenant that they were asked to keep. In fact, if you want to take the entire Old Testament and shape it up in one concept, it is that people are unable to keep the covenant that God asked them to keep. That's the whole point of the book of Jeremiah. That's why over and over again, Jeremiah preaches judgment and preaches that the Babylonians are coming and preaches that God will destroy them because they had an obligation to the law that they absolutely and utterly rejected. They broke the covenant over and over again. The reason we need a better covenant, we need a new covenant, is because just like the people of Israel, we are sure to break the covenant that God has asked us to keep. The reason we have a New Testament is because you couldn't hope to keep the Old Testament. The reason we have Jesus is because you couldn't hope to keep all the commands that Jesus kept. We are just like the people of Israel. We need a better covenant. 
Not only do we need a covenant that is better than the one we are sure to break, we need a covenant that leads us to know the Lord. We need a covenant that leads us to know the Lord. Uh, Pick up this in verse 33. But this is the covenant, this is the new covenant, that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. See, the people of the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were instructed in the way of God. They had the books of uh, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and they had the history books, and they had other places where they could look to and reflect on what God expected of them. They were instructed in the way of the Lord. But here's the interesting thing about Old Testament saints. While they could believe in God and while they could worship God, they did not all enter into a personal relationship with God. The covenant that God made with His people in the Old Testament was a covenant with a nation. It was a covenant with the people of Israel. It was a promise that God was going to redeem Israel and bring them out and give them a land and take care of them and they were to obey Him. Now, there are certainly individuals in the Old Testament that had a relationship with God. Abraham and David and and Solomon and others who at different times and places in their life, they interacted with God on a personal level. But for the entirety of the Old Testament, or for the majority of those Old Testament Israelites, they didn't enter into a personal relationship with God. They had the law, but they didn't obey God and follow God rightly, and so they didn't enter into that personal relationship. The problem wasn't that they didn't have right understanding or right law, because they had a right law. The problem with the Old Covenant has nothing to do with the expectations of it. Because the expectations of it lead us to that song that we sang, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord Almighty. The reason we need the Old Testament, the reason we need the law in the Old Testament, is because the law in the Old Testament points us to the fact that God is supremely righteous and absolutely without failure or without, uh, without imperfection, He's holy. He is absolutely righteous. And when you think about all of those Old Testament laws, what are they designed to do? They're designed to point out to us that God is supremely above us. That He's righteous, that He's perfect, that He's pure. They're designed to point to us and say, hold on a second, you're not this. We don't match up to God's standards. And so what do we need? We need a covenant that leads us to know the Lord. Why? Because... The most important thing that can happen for any human being on planet earth is to enter into a relationship with the holy God. God does not want us to to be subjects to Him in the sense where we bow before Him in some kind of uh, robotic obedience. God wants us to have a relationship with Him. He's a person. He, He made us as individuals and as persons to know Him and enter into a relationship. So what God promises through Jeremiah, and this is a beautiful picture, He says, I'm going not to give them a new law. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm going to give them a new book to follow. It's not like the New Testament is a new book that we've got to obey in order to be in a right relationship with God. No, what God says is, I'm going to go into their very hearts. And I'm going to write my law in their hearts. 
And I'm going to bring them into a relationship with me. And no longer are they going to have to say, know the Lord, because they will know the Lord. In other words, what God is saying is, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change them in the place where they need to be changed. Do you realize that there is absolutely no way I could give you the expectations of the Old Testament and expect you to abide by it so that you can enter into a fellowship with God? You could try from this day forward to open up the Bible, read all the commands and abide by those commands. You could do your dead level best. And probably before you get through the first 24 hour period, you're going to have failed in several of those commands. The problem with the old covenant isn't the expectations. The problem with the old covenant is the people that God invites into the covenant. We are sinners. We are terrible Sinners, and we need something changed. We need our hearts changed. And what God is promising in this new covenant that He's going to describe for us in the New Testament, He is promising that He'll come in and change our hearts. If you're a part of this worship service, if you're listening, if you're watching, do you know where the real problem in the world lies? The real problem in our world does not rest in Washington, D.C., or in Raleigh, North Carolina, or in some far distant nation in the world. The real problem in our world rests in our own human hearts. It rests in the sinfulness that keeps us away from a holy God. You know what God promises to do? He promises to intervene and give us a new heart. He promises to change us. You see, we need a covenant that leads us to know the Lord. Here's the third need we have. We need the forgiveness only the new covenant can provide. To catch what God promises here, he says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The entire issue with all of us and all of the world is the fact that we are sinners before a holy God, that we're unrighteous, that we're wicked, that we're depraved, that we're full of unrighteousness and unholiness, and that sinfulness needs to be dealt with. We need the forgiveness that only God can offer. Now, the Old Testament was full of a way for forgiveness to be received. In fact, if you look forward to Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews 8 depicts or quotes this passage of Scripture out of Jeremiah chapter 31. And the writer of the book of Hebrews references this passage of Scripture in light of the fact that Jesus came to earth and died on a cross and substituted himself on our behalf. He became a high priest that took our place and that gave us salvation. Now, now why do I say that? I say that because in the Old Testament, the people of God had a means by which they could receive forgiveness, and it was the sacrificial system. Let me illustrate it this way. Back before Mike Norman retired from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, he served as our minister of music, I guess, for about nearly 18 years. Uh, he had this line, he called it the tyranny of the Sunday. Now, what he was talking about is that no matter what happens in a worship service on Sunday, when that Sunday worship service is over, Monday's going to happen and give you six days to get ready for the next worship service. No matter how many mistakes you make singing, it doesn't matter how many mistakes you make preaching. Sunday is a coming. Well, right now, we don't have the tyranny of the Sunday. We have the tyranny of the Wednesday Sunday. Because no matter what happens, no matter what happens tonight, 
I'm going to preach a sermon and we're going to sing songs and we're going to worship Jesus and we're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to try to find some way to prepare for the next Wednesday, all the while knowing we're going to do this again on Sunday. And the mistakes that we make tonight, I'm going to fix in the second and third sermon I preach. Mistakes that we may make musically are going to be fixed on Sunday morning uh, in two worship services. And then guess what? We're going to start the week all over again. The tyranny of the worship service. Now, now, for some of you, you don't see all those mistakes or hear all those mistakes. But I can promise you that we as worship leaders recognize when we mess up and when things need to be fixed. But guess what? We got to get up and do it all over again. And most of the time, that's not any problem for me whatsoever. I enjoy preaching, enjoy the opportunity of it, but I've got to be ready to preach again. That is nothing like the tyranny of the Old Testament sacrificial system. I want you to know that for the people of God in the Old Testament to reflect faith in a God that was holy and righteous, what did they have to do? They had to bring a sacrifice to the tabernacle or to the temple, and the priest had to offer that sacrifice on an altar to serve as a cleansing for the sin they committed. And let me tell you, they had sacrifices after sacrifices after sacrifices. They never finished sacrificing. They had morning sacrifices, and they had lunchtime sacrifices, and they had evening sacrifices. They had burnt offerings, and they had thanksgiving offerings, and they had sin offerings, and they had atonement offerings, and they had offerings that would be from food, from from, uh, crops, and they had offerings that would be from lambs, and they had offerings that would be from rams, and they had offerings that would be from bulls, and they had offerings that would be from birds, and over and over again, they had offering after offering after offering, and their work was never done. There was never a point in the Old Testament when the priests could say, we have offered enough sacrifices, it's finished, it's done, we're good, you're covered, don't have to come back. That never happened. In order for them to express their faith in God and receive their forgiveness and cleansing, God had prescribed that they needed to bring sacrifices to the temple or to the tabernacle so that their sins could be cleansed. But that's not what happened in the New Covenant. The writer of Hebrews describes it this way. He said, when the high priest, that is Jesus, came, he sat down, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Why is he seated? Well, the priests of the Old Testament never sat. You know why they never sat? Because their work was never finished. They were sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing. Over and over and over again. But you know why Jesus sat down? Because when He died on a cross 2,000 years ago, when He initiated this new covenant that Jeremiah got a, a, a glimpse into in Jeremiah chapter 31, when Jesus instituted that, He never had to be sacrificed again. When he died on that cross, he died on that cross once and for all. The sacrifice is forever paid. It will never have to be made again. Those sins are cleansed. And what happened is, Jesus in the new covenant offers us the forgiveness that the old covenant can't even dream of providing. We need the forgiveness that only the new covenant can provide. We need the forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. So what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is he took every sin you've ever committed Every sin you would ever bring before God. And He paid for it on the cross. That's why it is folly for us to try to bargain with God about our righteousness and His righteousness. You say to God, God, uh, hold on a second, God, I messed up today. I messed up pretty big, pretty big. I I yelled at my spouse or 
or I got angry at somebody, or, or, or I looked at something I shouldn't have, or whatever it was that you did, we, we bargain, okay, God, I'll do better. I'll do better. I'll do better. I'm not a night person, so I'll get up earlier in the morning. I'm going to bargain like that. Whatever it takes, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to try to make ourselves right with God, just like the Old Testament sacrificial system. Problem with that is, it'll never be good enough. The only forgiveness that is good enough is what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. The only forgiveness that will ever be enough is what God did to stand in between our sin and His holiness and provide salvation. Why is it good enough? Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law. He said, I didn't come to do away with the old covenant. I came to fulfill the old covenant. I came to do everything that God said was your responsibility to do. You know what Jesus did? He did everything that God said was our responsibility to do. He was perfect, and when He died on the cross, He died on the cross as a perfect substitute on your behalf and on my behalf. When He died, what does that do? It gives us an opportunity to experience forgiveness. So let me tell you what that means. If you're a follower of Jesus in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus watching on any of the platforms that you're watching, if you have trusted Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, all your sins, past, present, and future, all your sins are cleansed, all your sins are forgiven. Jesus died for them, Jesus paid for them, and there never has to be another sacrifice. That is what enables your heart to be changed through regeneration. And that is what enables you to enter into a relationship with God. That's what enables you to stop whatever you're doing right now. Pause. And say, God, thank you. And be talking to a God that hears you. And be talking to a God that can talk back to you. Through the Holy Spirit and through His Word. God has brought you in a relationship with Himself. God has forgiven you and cleansed you. And whenever you sin and whenever you blow it, and you're going to and I am too, whenever you do that, the answer is not for us to go back and try to somehow solve our own sin problem or bargain with God. The answer is to go back to the cross and remember that we have forgiveness supplied through Jesus Christ. Folks, that new covenant is tremendously encouraging. It really is, because it reminds us that it's not up to you and up to me that we're right with God. It's up to what Jesus did so many years ago that makes us right with God. Now, for some of you in the room and for some of you watching and listening, you're like, well, how do I get a part? How do I take part in this? Because I've spent my life, you know, churning my legs and working hard and trying to get this forgiveness thing taken care of. I'm doing my best. And it just doesn't seem like my best is good enough. Well, that's because your best will never be good enough. None of us can earn the righteousness that God alone can provide through the promise of the new covenant. And if you're watching and you're still in your sin, what you need to do is admit, acknowledge that you're the problem. Acknowledge that your sin is what is keeping you separate from a relationship with God. Admit that. And then believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, taking your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world, paying for those sins on the cross, trusting that those sins are paid for and forgiven, and then commit your life to following Him. Why do we commit our life to following Him? Because He's redeemed us and He's forgiven us. The whole point of living a life following Jesus is because we've experienced the forgiveness that He's offered through the new covenant. And here's how certain it is. Here's how certain it is. You ready for this? 
I know that some of you in this room are really nervous. I know that some of you in this room haven't stopped looking at the news cycle for the last several months, and you're not going to stop looking at the news cycle for the next several days. And next Tuesday night, you're going to stay up as late as you can stay up to see if anybody has been elected president of the United States, and you're concerned about it. And I am concerned about it as well. But I'm going to tell you something. Do you know what's going to happen next Wednesday morning? Next Wednesday morning, no matter what happens in the election, no matter who you voted for or who millions of other Americans voted for, do you know what's going to happen? Next Wednesday morning, the sun is going to come up. Next Wednesday night, if it's a clear night, you're going to be able to look out and you're going to see stars in the sky. And you're going to be able to see the moon. And if you were at the ocean or at the beach next week, you know what's going to happen? The ocean is going to wave and the ocean is going to roar. So why are you telling me that, Pastor? Because right here in the Word it says, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar, the Lord of hosts is His name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. God makes the promise of the new covenant absolutely, completely inviolable, completely certain, because if the sun would stop shining and the moon would stop reflecting the sun's rays, and the stars would go out, and the waves would stop in the ocean. If all that would happen, then God's Word could be broken. But let me assure you, next week, no matter what happens in our nation, no matter what happens in our world, the sun's going to come up, the stars are going to shine, the moon's going to reflect the light of the sun, and the oceans are going to continue to roar. You know what that tells us? That tells us that God's not going to break His promise to you and to me. The forgiveness that you received when you were five 25 or 55, you have in this very moment. The forgiveness that you as a sinner are longing for is available to you in this very moment because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. And I would tell you with absolute, utter assurance that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your sins will be cleansed and you can enter into a relationship with God and God alone can give you peace and security no matter what happens around us. He's the one who's in charge. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you will. We're going to sing a song, Draw Me Close to You, which is a beautiful testimony of what we need to experience. Some of you today need to remember that God invites you to know Him and trust Him. Some of you need to reflect on the good news of the new covenant that you've received. Some of you may need to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love nothing more than to tell you how you can do that. If you're watching, you can shoot us an email, info at wilkesboroughbaptist.org, or give us a call, 336-667-1271 is the church number. If you're in the room, I would love to tell you how you can trust Jesus. You can come forward at the invitation or talk to me after the worship service. Why? Because there's nothing more important than you getting your sins cleansed and being forgiven. And if you're here and you've had that experience... There's nothing more important than reflecting on that and giving thanks to our Lord and Savior for His saving work. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I come to You in this moment and I thank You that even though the Old Covenant was good, and even though 
the law in the old covenant was great and pointed toward your holiness. I'm thankful that because we couldn't keep the covenant that you invited us to keep, you gave us a new covenant, a better covenant, a covenant that intervened in our sin situation and offered us salvation. Father, for those of us that are your followers, that are your believers in this room today, I pray, Lord, that we would express our gratitude to you. I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here with a sense of encouragement and peace that we have forgiveness. Lord God, I pray for those on my prayer list, those on the prayer list uh, who are present with us in this room today, those that are watching uh, through whatever platform, whatever uh, way they're listening, I pray, Lord, for those who are lost, for those who do not have the experience of forgiveness offered by the new covenant through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for their salvation. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would press home to them in their heart of hearts, their need to admit their sin, believe on you, and commit their lives to following you. I pray for their souls, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord, for us as your people, that we would be faithful to share what you've given us, share the experience that we have, the forgiveness that we have, that others might come to know you. Lord, as we sing, draw us close, I pray, Lord, that you'd make us aware of your presence in a special way because of your forgiveness and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.